Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favorite podcast, Insane in the Fembrane. Hello, everybody. Uh, quickly, just quickly, coming up Thursday 24th of Feb. It's our birthday show with Rod and Sean. Uh, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash membrane podcast for early access. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's what we're doing now. The patrons get early access to come, become a patron, come and join our gang. Go to the patreon.com forward slash membrane podcast and become a patron. Come join us. Oh, yeah. Also, check out stylish Insane in the Membrane t shirts and hoodies from buythatmerch.co.uk and tell them we sent you. That's the lads. SOS Clothing doing some wonderful things for us. Uh, there's other colours now as well. We had the gold one to start with. Now we've got the red and the green and the black, and it's really nice. Go and have a look. That's buythatmerch.co.uk. And as I said, tell them we sent you. Okay. This week's guest is the brilliant Callie Beaton, uh, host of the fantastic podcast Namaste Motherfuckers. Uh, she's also been on QI um, and various other TV shows. She's absolutely first class. I'd seen her around. I'd seen her on online. I'd seen her. I knew. I'd seen the name, and <clears throat> seen her on various comedy shows and things like that. And then I think it was like sort of the end of last year. We gigged together. We did up the creek for the first time. It was the first time I met her, and we hit it off straight away. You know, we were there was a few things that we were going through at the time that we kind of you know we we sort of had a chat about, and we were like you know we sort of reassured each other that you know it might be it might be shit now, but it's going to get better. We had a really nice chat on the DLR coming coming back into London. So uh, yeah, we hit it off, and I was like, you know what, I'd love to get her on the podcast. So we had a chat. She agreed. I was like, oh yeah, brilliant. And here she is coming up. In a minute, it's Callie Beaton. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A podcast from producer paul.co.uk. Howdy, how are you doing? I'm good, you all right? Are you picking that lighting now that you're 50 just to make sure it's <laughs> yeah. still looking great? <laughs> it's getting darker and darker. <laughs> I know I'll only do clubs with no lights now. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's fine. They can just listen to me. <laughs> yeah, just do it from off stage. Exactly. It's my best, my best angle. <laughs> I didn't realise you were there. Uh, I, uh, I was just waiting. I you couldn't could have been hear doing Paul. all sorts in that little yeah, cupboard. I imagine, but, in this yeah. spongy little room. I won't room. imagine because I've not had my croissant yet. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one needs that first thing in the morning. They do not. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thank you. I actually am good. People say that, don't they? They say, I'm good. And I'm mm. sad. Not, but yeah, I'm doing all right, thanks. How's it going your end? Yeah, good, happy, thank happy you. 50th. Thank you belatedly. very much. Did thank you have a nice you. one? Did you do lots of celebratory things? We did, actually. I got to see a, some... I, I had a surprise um, dinner with my, with my sons. Because uh, I'd spoken to them and then... Uh, they were, oh yeah, I'm busy rehearsing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then I was taken for dinner and they were sat there... Uh, Lovely. Aww. Yeah, it was a Remind nice me moment. what age your boys are? Thir- uh, t- well, my eldest will be 30 in March and my youngest is 24. Okay, yeah, I've got 24. My oldest is 24, so. Isn't it insane to be the parent of grown ups? I know, it's kind of nice, though. I don't know how you found that, and uh, but it's. I'm sort of getting used to it now. They say, don't they? You give kids roots and you give them wings. And yeah. I feel like when, when they fly, it can be quite painful. But then, you know, you've done your job well, don't you? Because they can. So I'm sort of making my peace with that at the moment. Yes. They're gone, gone. <laughs> They've it's gone just that, out, out. It's just that moment when you realise, because I've been a parent longer than I haven't been. Mm-hmm. And you don't realise, even if you don't, because like, I, I, their mother and I split up when, when we were young, but... We we were always still around each other, um, but you you don't realise that you just you spent your entire life g- caring about the kids, and then one day they don't need you. You still care about them, but you don't. They don't need you, and you're like, oh, now what do I do? You have to find yourself again. Well, it's also that when you have them young, I have mine in my twenties as well, mm. and it kind of I it is a lot. It's not your identity because you and I have always done other things. So you mm. know, neither of us were full time parents. But it's amazing how much it is a part of your identity. And as I was a single mum for my two since they were tiny. Mm. So it's kind of just the three of us against the world for 20 years. Wow. And then when yeah. they left, I was like, oh, it's mighty quiet around here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it really is weird. And no one, I don't nobody has told me about that bit. Nobody, I remember when I was, when I had my first one and there was a, there was a, a couple that we were friends with. Uh, Nick, he was, this, he was this massive biker dude. 
And so, you know, you'd assume that he wouldn't, he'd be, you know, he's a biker dude, you know, the, the stereotypical, you'd think, he, you know, but, but he was a really sensitive man and he took me to one side and he just said, just so you know, Rich, now the baby, now, you, you know, she was pregnant and now the baby's here. Very few people are going to ask you if you're all right. <laughs> For the rest I, of your life. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just assume you're going to be fine. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, and you don't realise when you have kids, because everyone worries with, about the first one, you worry about having them, like, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to be? What sort of a parent am I going to be? But instinct kicks in, doesn't it? And you just do things that you didn't think you could do. Well, you love them in an, I remember thinking I'm too selfish to have a kid when I was actually in labour with my first one and I was trying to have a home birth. So I was kind of labouring around the place. And um, I said to my kid's dad, you know, I said, I just realised I don't really want anyone else in the flat. I kind of like it just being us. I don't really want to share the flat with... He was like, this is not a great moment to be having that realisation. And I, <laughs> I really did have a slight panic that I wouldn't feel selfless enough to have a kid. I was like, but I'm quite selfish and I like my boyfriend and I'm working at yeah. MTV and we're having a great life and this is going to ruin it. And what you don't bank on is when you see your child that's, that, that 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 thing kicks in, whatever it is, and you can be the biggest arsehole in the world, but your kids will come first and, well, yeah. pretty much for everyone and you would walk across hot coals for your kid and that's not because we're saintly people. It is just that weird primal thing, isn't it? So yeah. I pride myself Self on being a selfish arsehole who still managed to then translate that into an all right mum. <laughs> but it goes to show what kind of a parent you are when other people tell you how great your kids are. Yes. You know, it's a real, you go, I actually did a not, I didn't do a bad job. Well, that's funny. I'm sure you had that when yours were younger. I still get it occasionally, but when they're teenagers and they're being awful at home and they're not unloading the dishwasher and they won't even look you in the eye and then they'll go to a mate of yours house and your mate will be like, oh my gosh, they were so polite. They always make eye, they ate everything. They helped clean up. They helped cook. And you're like, sorry? Oh, so yeah. you do have those skills. You're just not rolling them out in your own abode. Nice that's to know. It. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Save your best for your mates. <laughs> yeah, it is a thankless task, isn't it? A thankless job. It is, although getting, I don't know, there's something about the adder. I'm particularly close to, I mean, I'm close to both my kids, but because I wasn't as close to my mum, I, I, it means the world to me to be this close to my daughter. And mm. I do that. She's 21. And that relationship, I've, I think that's why I'm, that's how I'm coping with this empty nest phase is watching what the relationships are turning into. Yeah. And there's something pretty cool about having adult kids out there who you get on with, right? And who are part of your kind of people in the world. So I'm, I'm realizing you have lost a lot but you've gained you have gained something different but it is a living loss I'm sure you've talked about it on the podcast the idea of living loss and how much that feels like a bereavement and your yeah. kids leaving home is a massive living loss and I was googling when my daughter she she moved to Amsterdam when she was 18 and I was when I got home I was googling does emptiness feel like a death because I literally felt like she'd you know, I was like yeah. literally walking in. I, I couldn't go into her bedroom for about three weeks. And my oh, mate's wow. like, you know, she hasn't died. You know, she's still alive. You can, It's not a shrine. Your daughter will be back. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, she will. But it did feel like a punch in the guts on a pretty yeah. massive level. Yeah. yeah. Of course it is. It absolutely is. It's, We've gone straight in deep, haven't we, with this shit? Do you know what? Though? It's funny that, that living loss has never come up. We haven't spoken about it before. Okay. And it's, a, and it, that's, it's something that I think you and I have been around over the last sort of year when like we we first sort of got talking yes we're talking about bereavement like when you split with somebody 
Mm-hmm. And I, I was talking to someone, so I had counselling and things like that. I'm, I think you did as well. Yes, I've because had a lot of counselling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we all need it. I've had but... a lifetime of it. I'm an early adopter. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. I first had counselling when I was 23. Okay. Yeah, I had it. I had my first sort of lot, yeah, in the, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think... It was just, it, yeah, I, it, I mean, I didn't, it, it wasn't the right person for me at the time. I didn't realise that you have to sh- sort of shop around and find the right person sometimes, you know, because you you know, it's all about, rela- you're building a relationship with someone, aren't you? So Yeah, it's chem- it's definitely chemistry. And I think mm. different therapists will do different things for you at different times. I went to see that therapist for a very specific thing that had happened in my life that I needed help getting over. Mm. And even though I wish that thing hadn't happened, yeah. It it opened me to therapy at a very young age, and it definitely changed my life. The therapy for the better. I I, yeah. I don't know how I would have survived mentally if I hadn't happened upon therapy really? young. But that idea of living loss, I'm quite yeah, I'm quite preoccupied with it at the moment. It's a really, it's a very helpful way to validate. You know, when you do split up with somebody, depending what happens next you may never see them again yeah. and you might have been in bed with them laughing and reading the paper a week earlier and then I'm acting like it's the 1980s we all read the paper we don't have um, laptops <laughs> or you know phones but you're you know you're and then they're gone and you mm. might never you might never see them again and that is the most phenomenal loss and if you think about what your brain is going through and your fight or flight mechanism you know your whole brain and body and mechanisms are like that person's died. They've just gone. Yeah. And it is a very visceral fear. So I think the idea that we kind of think we can't feel bad about those things or we shouldn't because someone didn't die. Of course, somebody dying is a whole other league of a loss. Yeah. But the idea of living loss, which could be kids leaving, could be breakups, could be a massive bit of work that fell apart. You know, could be, I think we all felt living loss in the pandemic, didn't we? We all yeah. lost our kind of careers and our purpose. That was a living loss. So yeah, I'm quite quite interested in it. I do a lot of motivational speaking, as you probably know, and I'm quite mm. interested in that idea at the moment and how companies I speak to have also suffered that. They've lost people, they've lost culture, they've lost atmosphere. So yeah, living yeah. loss. You can living have that one loss. on me, Rich. That's brilliant. I've yeah. literally never heard of it before. And I think it's it's... It's yeah, because you're it, you're so used to things being as they are, you know. You're 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 going into work and and, and those people are there, like you say. And overnight, everything just got taken away from us, didn't it? It was just, and it was an Im- unimaginable thing that happened. Like no one, no no one in a million years was good. Did we? We didn't think it was ever going to happen that we would end up locked in our houses because of something. That was in the in the atmosphere. Yeah, Crazy. we thought that's a shit movie. I'm not going to keep watching because yeah. it'll never happen. I remember bumping into Lou um, Sanders, who lives near me, and we. I was walking in on Hampstead Heath, um, and and I bumped into her, quite near the start of the first lockdown. And I was talking to her about work and she was like, well, at least, you know, the radio's still going and the, so there's bits of telly. And she said, I keep thinking, God, if this had happened two years ago, I'd have been fucked because I was just on the cusp. And I was like, you've just described me, Lou. I was just <laughs> getting telly. I was, I'm literally, you've described where I'm at and I have just lost everything. And it just felt, I'm not saying, you know, God, there's people who lost a lot more than I did. So sorry, key workers, if you're thinking, yeah, poor you, Kelly, you lost a bit of telly. But I did, it did feel 
like the most massive loss. Do you know what I realized though? I've always said to my kids um, about money. I've said, you know, money definitely won't make you happy, but not having enough money will make you unhappy. Mm. And there's a big difference. And I realized just apply that to work because not getting those shows is making you really unhappy because you thought they were yours. They were in the bag and then they got canceled. Yeah. But then I thought, but you could be doing those shows and be completely miserable. Life wouldn't, so you're mourning a thing you never had. It wasn't yours. It mm. was about to be yours. And it might not have made your life any better. And when I realised what I was, I was assuming that would, I, all I was grieving was something I'd never had. And then I thought, okay, that is a bit of an easier thing to square myself up to. Yeah. I think as well, when something has gone, like we said about um, the, the, when, you break, when you break up with somebody, What's difficult as well, when what is it that you know that they're still around somewhere? They're still doing things. And, and your worst brain, of all, they might be happy. Yeah, and you're like, oh, Fuckers. they weren't happy with me, and now they're happy yeah. with someone else. And that yes. adds, that's like an extra twist of the knife. Do you know what really helped me this time? I remember in my darkest moments, because I split up with someone similar time to you. I split up with him on, in June last year. And it is, I will say, this is a slow burn to be getting over him. I've I've downed my dating tools for a bit after a couple of rebounds because I just I realized I haven't processed it fully but I think there is something about um I googled kind of late at night you know what how do you get over breakups like at 52 I shouldn't know and um and I happened to find something and one of the things it said was just do not go near go cold turkey don't go don't have any contact with them and don't go near them on social media mm. and it was the first time I'd split up with an ex and I didn't go near anything he was doing on social media even though it's so tempting and he's all over it. And I, it was the best decision I made. It, yeah. it re that is one really important tip, I think. To, I don't know how you've been with that. It's kind of hard with your, with your setup to not it's, notice, isn't it? Well, this is it. But we've, we've blocked each other on everything. So that helped. And then, I, and I did say to everyone, because someone, someone screenshotted something and sent it to, sent it to me. And, and I went, why are you sending me that? And I, I just thought you'd be interested. I'm like, I'm not interested. I don't yeah. want to see it. I didn't. I've learned early on that, you know, if you go snooping, you're gonna, you're not gonna like what you find, you know, because we were both in the same industry. I was hearing all manner of stuff, and I just, in the end, I just said to everyone, I went, I don't want to know. Can mm -hmm. you just not tell me? Don't show me things. I don't want to know. We've, we've got to make a clean break. It wasn't working. We're better off away from each other. We both realise that now. But I still don't want to know what she's up to. I just don't want to know. There are, but, you know. There are people where it's always going to hurt. And I think realising that as well, that someone said to me about breakups, you can tell I'm about to do um, a speech this afternoon. You can tell I'm in full motivational speaker yeah, mode. Yeah, yeah. Right tell from by this, the tone, yeah, yeah. Right from this, I'm driving <laughs> off to do one. But one of the things that um, someone said to me is relationships, they're not, um, th that you broke up because it was broken and it's mm. complete. You see the relationship as complete. Yeah. So it's not a kind of failure, but you completed that relationship. And I thought that's actually a nicer way. It's not a kind of notch on the failure dial. You know, you just, it, 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 it ended. But but there are also relationships that if getting over something, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, what would my, what would your shrink say? No. And they had one about how long it takes to get over somebody and let go. And they said, well, it depends what you're asking. If what you're asking is when will it never hurt? When will I never care about this person? That's probably never. Mm. If you're asking when can I let go of being in the grip of this kind of grief, that's something you have a choice about. But to sort of know that person will always be a bit somewhere in you, I think that's almost a relief because mm. you're not going, oh, I've just got to not give a shit and be really happy for them that they end up married to someone that they look like they really love. You know, it's all mm. right not to feel like that, isn't it? So uh, what I'm saying is I'm still in the thick of an absolute shit show of 
the breakup, Rich. <laughs> oh, That's mate. really what I'm trying to say. It's a hot mess over here. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay, it was there was a time when in between the, t- the, the, the sort of when we broke up and then the rest of the, time, the rest of the year, like when I last saw you. And I was in the middle of it then, and I just, the turmoil. We were nearly crying on the DLR, weren't we? We were trying to yeah, hold it together. But, but <laughs> the young people yeah. like, look at that middle-aged people, couple crying. We look What's like a couple breaking up. <laughs> exactly. Tenderly. Yeah. And oh, with I, love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, there's a moment where you just go, I'm never going to feel right again. Yes. Even though when we were together at the end, it was awful. I still, there was always a glimmer of hope. I'm like, oh, we're going to work this out. We are going to work this out because there's love there. And, and then when you and then when you come through all that, oh, we're nev- I'm never going to be the same again. You come through the other side and you kind of go, oh, actually, it seemed, I think that was the best decision, you know, because we were both miserable, but we hadn't, we hadn't really faced up to it. But that's kind of heartbreaking when there's still the, um, that's, that's where I'm at with my one. It sounds like a very similar thing. We just couldn't, it just didn't work. Mm. But we totally loved each other and we still do. And when you know that's out there, you're like, God, it's quite hard to find somebody that you love and where all the stuff you want from somebody's there. Mm. Obviously not all the stuff or we'd be with them, but I did. There's also, um, you and I had a sort of text exchange about age. I have yeah. realised though, there's something very liberating about having a five at the start of your age because any notion of I better find someone by that age or no, I'm like, it really doesn't matter if I meet someone at 53 or 63, like what is the difference? Um, yeah. I'm not, there's no clocks ticking. And actually that's felt really good. I'm like, if, if you think you're going to lose it, you know, you have this thought that you are 50 or come in like a guillotine and I'll, it, I won't be able to, no one will find me attractive and I won't want to do this. And then you realise, no, I just feel exactly the same as I did when I was 49, only mm. a bit less scared of a milestone that didn't matter. Yeah. And then you can just crack on and realise, well, there's no rush. Got all the time in the world. Couple of, you know, lovely candidates like us. Who could resist, Rich? Bloody right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny that because time, I was talking about this the other day and it sounded insane what I was saying, but time doesn't exist. Like the the, the, the numbers isn't really, like we don't get, you don't get to 50 and suddenly things start dropping off. You're just, you're just, you are aging anyway, like a like a flower, like a like anything else that is born and grows and then dies. You know, it's just a thing. But we go. But there are still people that go. Oh, you're in your fifties. Well, yeah, and you're past it then. Yeah, we don't want to know. And you had, you know, you you had that very thing. You did a show about it. I did invisible, you know? yeah, because yeah. that French guy. There was that. There was a for any of your listeners who don't know. There was a French man called Yann Moir who was fifty, a kind of B list guy, and he he made global headlines because he said a woman at fifty is invisible, and that he would never date a woman at fifty. Um, that a woman at twenty five's got a hot body, a woman at fifty does not. He then, to be fair, um, every hot 50-year-old woman on the planet, of whom there are millions, was posting pictures of their, not literally of their ass, but, you know, hot pictures. And yeah, in the yeah, end, yeah. he was like, please, could everyone stop, you know, trolling me with their hot <laughs> pictures? But um, but I just thought, you know, it's it's a thought that you kind of put on yourself, isn't it, that you'll... That, you, that that might be a thing and mm. that you might, I think you do assume it. And people do talk a lot about invisibility, particularly women, um, that men turn into these kind of silver foxes and date younger, which is the way society is. A lot of older men do date younger. Yeah. But that does not mean that that is not the same as saying women my age can't date younger, date who they want, mm. be attractive. But I, I don't know if you have this, but when people hear my age and on stage, I still say I'm 50, mainly because I've got a good gag about my 50th birthday, but I'm about to be 53. Not that that matters at all in real terms. But when people come up to me after gigs and go, oh my God, you don't look like you're 50. 
first of all, I'm thinking, well, I'm not. And second of all, I'm thinking, well, that's because you don't know many 50-year-olds mm. then because I don't know about you, but the people I know our age are just like, they look good. They're doing stuff. Like, I don't think we're the anomalies. I think no. most people, we're thinking of like what people in their 50s were when our great auntie Dora was in her 50s and life's moved on a bit. So people do have this assumption, don't they? Like, oh, right. You know, that sounds old. Yeah. I've decided nothing's going to sound old till I'm 80. That's when I'm accepting <laughs> old. Until then, young. <laughs> well, I'm it, in my <laughs> second act. <laughs> it's funny when I hear, I remember I used to listen to Bill Burr's podcast quite a bit and he'd talk about He'd always talk about himself like, he's, oh, I'm an old fuck, I'm an old fuck. And you're like, no, you're not. What are you doing? He's like, oh, well, I'm an old man now. And I'm this. And I'm like, no, it doesn't mean it's over. What are you on about? You, you just, you're just where you are. You don't have to start, you know, buying into the stereotypes, you know, of like cardigans and, you know. Well, certainly you can't wear an ironic cardigan. That's something to note in your 50s. What was ironic and Hoxton now just makes you look like an old uh, old dodger. What do you think, though? You, you must see this a, a lot, that people will be like, you know, stand-ups will be on the stage going, and I'm 33 now, and, you know, so now when I get up off the couch, something creaks, and I've oh. realised that instead of going to the pub, I want to have a cup of tea, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? That is... No, old, and I'm 20 years older than you, and I do not feel like that. Nothing creaks, no. and I still would sooner go out than have a cup of tea. So there's there's that perception of age, isn't it? Like what it is, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that. If you, someone said to me, like the day that you say I'm old is when you become old. You know, yeah. if you start talking in that way. But it's but what what I did find as well. Like I had people saying to me, "Why do you keep telling people how old you are?" Because of the industry that we're in. They're like, like what, stop telling people. Because it's people that we know that have got a stage age. They've, they're, and they're a lot. There's a lot of people. And who've got twins who are two when their twins are actually 27. There's a few yeah. of those around as well. <laughs> yeah. Because the gag still works. Yeah. But Fair it's still, play. But it's still, it's still in this industry. There is that. Like especially, and I've, I've had this conversation with many women. They say, they, they are horrified. They're terrified of, of, of getting to 40 because they're like, it'll be all over. The thing I do think about that, though, is... Well, I've, I sent you that thing about the U-shaped happiness curve, which is, I can't remember the guy who came up with it, but it's basically the evidence scientifically and neurologically that from the age of 25 until our 40s, we are on a downward curve of happiness. And from our 50s to our 80s, we are back on an upward trajectory. Oh, and yeah. my own personal experience so far would say that's there's definitely something in that. But what I would also say is that we sort of limit ourselves a bit as well. So I'm not saying that you know there isn't a patriarchy i'm not saying there isn't ageism i'm not i'm not naive mm. but i do also think that we can decide what is going to limit us and what isn't and i know that i was feeling when i lost all that work as we all did at the start of the pandemic it was the year i'd turned 50 and when i was starting to get all those telly things and radio stuff i was thinking god i'm really lucky that as a newcomer at 50 mm. people are giving me a break on telly Aren't, i'm so lucky and then when it all fell away i was like well i definitely won't get that back i was lucky enough well, here I am, pretty much all of it's come back. And mm. I'm like, and now I'm about to be 53 and no one gives a shit. And I think, so honestly, there are, I'm not saying ageism isn't a thing, 
but I also think I was setting a lot of limits on myself and yeah. saying, well, now I'm this age, this can't happen. And it's like, well, maybe it can. And maybe maybe just don't make those assumptions. And I do think that it may be harder to get onto things when you're a certain age. Mm. But at the end of the day, if you're good on them, you're going to get asked back. And if somebody who's younger and fits the demographic better isn't, they won't. Yeah. So there are, I'm not, I'm, as I said, I'm not being glib about it because there'll be people listening going, well, fuck you. I haven't had a chance at telly and I haven't had a chance at radio and I'm great. And that will be the case. But I'm determined this year to think less about age, even though we've just spent 20 minutes talking about it. But I think it's because really we need to get out of our own way. Like, what are we saying we can't do or Mm. we can do and what is possible? So, uh, yeah, we're worlds out there, but but why are we so preoccupied with age? But you've just turned 50 and that's a big one, Rich. Like anyone who's just turned 50 is going to be thinking about turning 50. It's Mm. a massive... It does feel massive, but how do you feel now? So you're what, a few days into being 50? Yeah, yeah. How did you feel when you woke up 50? It was almost a relief. It was like, all right, I can stop worrying now, it's happened. I had exactly the same. Yeah. I felt so good the day I woke up 50. And uh, and then my kids threw a sort of surprise, bit like your thing, you know, they sorted stuff out for me. And I just felt like the most massive weight was off my shoulders and it's kept off. It's a lovely feeling. Yeah. And I was looking around, I was looking at my wardrobe and because I'm a really big, I'm a big thing about shoes. I mean, I think shoes say so much about a person and I just love love it. So I've got loads of pairs of trainers and things like that. And I was looking and then I got bought a really, a new pair of trainers for my birthday and, and I was like, oh no, I'm fine. Like, I don't, like, again, we don't have to be buying into the stereotypes of cups of tea at the pub and cardigans. You can... You can still wear funky trainers. You can still, so like you said, like some of the best people I know and some of the people I follow on Instagram are in their fifties, sixties, seventies, and they all look spectacular. So, like you and said, it's all it's all in your head. It is in your head. You also go that I will admit though that I worked out the couple of things that I could keep no matter what age I was like. Like teeth are going to be really important. You keep them going. Mm. Keep a nice sharp haircut yeah. and shoes like you. I'm like those things. No one's ever going to stop me having nice teeth, decent hair, and a nice pair of shoes. <laughs> the rest, who knows what might happen between teeth and shoes? A lot could go wrong. <laughs> but I'm going to stick with the extremities and work them to the max. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> what a great <laughs> meme that will be. I'd love to see that in between teeth and shoes. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, that might be the name of my next show. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. It is. Tr- I, it's funny actually mentioning teeth. I was at the I was at the Tate Modern last summer and I was with a friend of mine, Rachel. And Throw her, that little middle class snippet. Yeah, no, it's not it, even a thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I was. But it does matter because I... I it does now. I was, because I was, with, I was with Rachel and her son and her son said, let's race. And we were in the basement of the, of the Tate Modern. It's all concrete. And so everything looks the same. And I, I didn't have my glasses on, so I, didn't know, I didn't, couldn't see. And I ra- we were running and I ran full pelt into one of the concrete pillars because it looked the same as the floor and I didn't And they are it. sturdy pillars. Yeah. Yeah. It was like I was like Han Solo at the other side, you know, in the in the in the uh, <laughs> in, when he was frozen. And and I fucked my tooth. I've, and I can and I know it's it's going to be an issue later Which on. One? I can't see from here. Let's have a No, you can't see it. It's just I just it's just I know it's Is it dead? Up. No, it's not dead, but something it, I just got I've got a feeling something's going to happen with it. My advice is, as a person, as your senior by three years, sort that shit out because that's all you've got. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you've just said, it's important. 
don't like you if you're going around with a brown tooth and 50 Ugh. you're fucked so <laughs> forget what i said about ageism you. <laughs> sort your teeth out son sort your bloody teeth out mate <laughs> but you've had a spectacular life when i was i was i always like to look you know, obviously you look at what the, you know you look into the, who the guests are and you've done some incredible things and you know to be to be in the positions you've held that might you must have come across all manner of isms at the time. Do you know, it's really funny you say that because I, I talk one of the one of the reasons I most get booked as a speaker is the fact that I'm a kind of boardroom career person who's reinvented as a comic. So people like that story. And also I think people have realized that they need to start booking different demographics for their keynote speeches, their after dinner speeches. It's a very male, white male world. Yeah. So thankfully the speaker bureaus and the clients have woken up to the fact that they need to shimmy out of that space. But what I, so one of the things that gets me booked is that I was the youngest and only female member of the ITV board. And that's only because I ran a production company that got bought by ITV. I had no boardroom aspirations. Mm. I was a kind of creative who got lucky. So my life went from being a sort of creative person in production to being a boardroom person in business. And on paper, that was in my early 30s, on paper that looks like a really successful time in my career. I sat on a board alongside David Cameron. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy for starters. And David Cameron was like everyone on that board. They were Etonians, they were white privileged men. It was pale male and stale in the extreme. And I was the anomaly. And it looks like, oh, well done you, you know, good for you. But I always say when I do speeches and stuff, I'm like, that that is one of the reasons I get booked for stuff because that was the start of my kind of more meteoric kind of rise in, in media. But it was also the time I became a single mum and split up with my kid's dad and mm. felt so inadequate that I would kind of cry myself to sleep. And I didn't tell anyone that. I wasn't, I felt massively vulnerable. I was suffering from imposter syndrome mm. on an epic scale. And I think what then happened was I commenced kind of 15, 20 years of not fraud, because I think I did my job really well, but I was just coping. So if so, I almost feel like there's two stories. And um, for me, money never blew my skirt up. I've never cared about money as long as I've got enough not to worry, which I know is a huge privilege. A lot of people don't have enough money not to worry. If I'm not worried about money, as in I can pay the bills, mm. I'm fine. I don't do lavish things. I don't need to, I don't want to. So money doesn't matter to me. Status never mattered to me. I never felt like I was a senior vice president of a big Hollywood studio. I felt like I was borrowing that job title. And I knew I was being put at the front of planes because they were paying. And there would be a time when I'd be at the back of the plane like by the toilet again, which is now where I you know, reside when I fly. So I never believed any of that. It never really mattered to me, even though I loved my job and I loved the people and I, I, I loved the content of my job. But I didn't really care about the trappings. But the only thing I think, if uh, the other night I was doing a gig and I was emceeing and I took there was a couple in the audience and they'd been married 56 years and that is successful I know that sounds kind of naff but I'm like okay I don't know what their lives are like I don't know how good their marriage is but they were there with their kids and their grandkids and I'm like to me that is an interesting story and mm. if I could sit with you guys you know George and Holly or whatever they were called that would be interesting so I know it sounds trite but the things that really matter, like feeling okay and having someone in your life that matters who you've managed to hold on to, I'd say anyone listening who's done that is a lot has had a lot more of a successful yeah. life than I've had, if that makes sense. No, absolutely it makes sense. It must have been hard though, like you say, like balancing the two things. You know, like your home life and your and your work life. Because they're both and they're because they're both such high power things that you have to deal with so and you were saying about like you were crying and things like that but you obviously dealt with it 
you know, you obviously had it in you to just to, to. You had your moments where you were like, oh, "This is insane," but you just kind of found the, the strength within yourself to keep going. Well, people used to say that at the time as well, because my son, as you as you may know, is autistic, mm. and so we went through what it is to bring up a neurodiverse kid, which is definitely a whole other layer of complication emotionally but it's also a really practical thing um anyone whose kids might now be getting diagnosed as autistic will be finding out that you get the diagnosis but you don't get anything else you don't get a manual and here's some help you get told yeah. your kid's autistic you're then thinking all oh, right now the help will swing and no it doesn't and you'll be lucky if there's a special needs provision at your kid's local school you know let alone yeah. anything further than that so i became the special needs coordinator at one of my son's schools for a year because there wasn't an adequate one on top of the job not because i'm some saintly person because i needed to get my son through what was going to be difficult you know we kept him in mainstream state education mm. um and we we made that decision to do that but so what so when people say you're strong i'm always wary of like yes i kept it all going and i and i brought the kids up and they've turned out all right you know largely thanks to them being amazing kind of human beings but i think those strategies i remember when i dropped my son off at college so he went to college when he was 19 and he was there it was like an animal college he's a zookeeper now he was always obsessed with animals and it was a really safe pastorally supportive environment and a mm. lot of kids who work with animals happen to be neurodiverse it's it's just a thing um and so there were lots of there was lots of support at this college and it was like a hogwarts for animals in the middle of the bedfordshire countryside and i dropped him off and it hit me like, you know, in the solar plexus, like it does everybody. And then I just sat and thought, I can't, I can't drive. Actually, I can't actually drive. Well, I got halfway down the drive and there was a cattle grid and then a bunch of bloody thick sheep just stood. I couldn't drive anyway, because I was like, well, you're not getting out of the way. <laughs> but there was almost like a PTSD reaction because I suddenly could breathe again. I was like, right, I've coped with it. And I did then go through a period of quite intense mental like mental health problems and it was it, they had been storing up and they were going to come oh, out right. that I uh, and my strategies for coping reached their sell by date and my mind and my body were like you are dealing with this shit now and I did and I had a very difficult five years um, yeah, where right. it all the, 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 there's a quote in an Alan Bennett play habeas corpus and the quote is the sky was dark with the wings of chickens coming home to roost wow. and the chickens bloody came home to roost yeah, yeah. so so yeah, I, I I always anyone listening who's like a single parent or struggling, there is great strength in telling people you're struggling and asking for help and knowing that sometimes leaning into being feeling really shit about things and being overwhelmed is completely fine. I wish someone had said that to me. You yeah. don't have to know how to do it. You're allowed to just throw your hands up in the air and go, I'm overwhelmed and I feel shit um, and ask for some support. So I don't I don't completely wear it as a badge of honor, to be honest, if I think about it. But if it's, that makes sense. But even then, even then, you still like you said, to reach out is so hard. I read a thing yesterday, and it did say it was saying about like reaching out to people to see if they're all right. And it's so hard to even do that. It's, it's, if it's someone you haven't spoken to for a while, and it kind of builds up, and you're like, oh, I've really got to speak to that person. But then you get in your own way, and the same is, is with reaching out. Like you said, you don't want to admit that you're struggling. But I remember. When I turned around one day, and I, like you said about, I could feel the, the I could feel my mental health dwindle, like really, it was almost like buckling. I could feel it, and I remember saying like, I am hanging on by my fucking fingertips, and I don't know what to do. And that, and it, and as soon as I said that, it kind of, it, it almost like the, the relief, and the of, of the and the release of the pressure was so great, just by saying that. You know, and I think it's, yeah, it's very important to, to tell people, but it's so hard, isn't it? 
It's and do you know that? But what you said is the absolute most important thing because what we don't do is even tell ourselves. Mm. So I think the thing that I've and you know, and I've had some really intensive help the last five years. Uh, well, it, yeah, a bit more than five years. I'd say I've had a couple of much better years, but I had five very very difficult years mm. in and out of psychiatric hospitals for quite oh, intensive wow. help, group therapy, day in day out for um, for quite a long period at one time. Couldn't really work at that point, so I had a full on. I don't know if you'd call it burnout, what you'd call it, um, which, by the way, I do also think it's quite connected to perimenopause and menopause, and I wish we understood that better in women. A lot of women go through those periods at the same time I did, so I think we also need to be much more cognizant of that as a society. But either way, whatever was personal, whatever was hormonal and more collective, the thing that I most learned in all of that and still do is once you've acknowledged it, so if I wake up, Yesterday I woke up and had a really bad, I still get some bad days. And I woke up and I just thought, oh shit, the black dog is yapping quite hard in my ear. I'm feeling absolutely knackered physically. I don't feel good. I'm fuzzy of head. And the first thing I did was go, right, just notice it. How are you feeling then? What's what's going on? Have a look around the room metaphorically. And then once I realized, yep, physically I've got these signs mentally and I and I felt totally overwhelmed. I didn't think I could do anything. And and then I just thought, well, maybe you can't today, then who knows? Mm. And 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 I had a big thing in the afternoon that was gonna pay me enough for the month and I needed it. So I'm not, I wasn't like in a privileged position of, oh, just go back to bed and watch a film. But do you know what? Accepting it and letting it in makes it so much less powerful and I yeah. that's what mindfulness is isn't it you're letting it you're just letting it all flow through you and I, I keep saying that to my daughter at the moment she's always got some bloke thing going on because she's 21 and she's out in Madrid having fun there's always someone she, that's the love of her life who's broken her heart every kind of two weeks and I was trying to say to her I said, Elle, the thing is, what you're not able to do, if you could just sit with this, just tonight, don't go out and go clubbing and drink. Just see what this feels like, just for tonight, because you will survive. And just notice how you're feeling and that it feels shit and you feel empty and you think you'll never be loved again. And then tomorrow, go out and do... But just allow a little bit of that feeling in or you're just playing chase, aren't you? I'm just going to knock that feeling out. That's why people drink, self-medicate, eat, whatever. We've all got a thing we do that's self-medication that isn't particularly helpful. We all harm ourselves in whatever way it is. Everyone's got that in them. And it's because we're so scared of ourselves. So I think what you said, that's the most, if if your starting point is this is how I feel and I feel shit and I don't know how to do this, then it becomes much easier to know what to do about that and who to ask. But it's when we're telling ourselves, you know, that kind of, oh, buck up, you'll be all right. It's like, well, no, maybe you won't today. Mm. Maybe you're not all right. And maybe that's absolutely fine as well. But God, it's taken me, uh, you know, half a century to get anywhere near any of this. And I'm still totally a work in progress. There's nothing redemptive about this story for sure. (laughs) But it is ongoing, (laughs) isn't it? The, the, The whole thing, this comes up quite a lot because life is hard and no one tells you that. It's all the other way. Oh, you can be wherever you want. Just follow your dreams and blah, blah. And you're like, it's fucking hard. And things are going to get in your way. And, you know, if I'd have been told that at an early age, maybe things would have been a bit different. I think the message, the thing I do try and say to my kids is, and my son, you know, it's it's hard spitting a kind of neurodiverse kid out into the world. You know, it's yeah. not as easy for him. And, and I and I feel very mindful, not not in a patronising way. He's enormously resilient and talented, so I'm not trying to take away from his capacity. But I'm also aware that some things that might seem a bit easier to someone neurotypical are a little bit harder for him sometimes. 
And when he struggled, like when he left after Christmas, we had a sort of family Christmas together, but because he works in a zoo, the animals don't take Christmas off. So you don't get long off, you know, they still need feeding and looking after. So he only got two nights off. So we were all still here, my parents, and he had to leave and he got quite tearful and sort of, and then he got home and felt really tearful. He lives in a kind of bed sit, you know, like a kid would when they're first out in the world. And I just said to him, you know, but you can, this is what you're feeling is completely real. Yeah. And it feels completely difficult and you might feel shit tonight, tomorrow for a few days, but you totally are resilient enough to do this. So it's not about getting rid of those feelings. It's knowing they do pass yeah. and you can sit in them. And I just wish someone had said that to me when I was younger, like you feel shit today. So when you go for a run and it feels really hard. I remember the guy that trained me for the, I did, I've done a couple of marathons and the first London marathon I did, the, this you know obsessive runner trained me. And he said, you know, when you're doing your 22 mile training runs, you'll get to like mile 13 and go, I cannot fucking do this. Mm. It hurts too much. I can't do another nine miles feeling like this. He said, but you won't feel like that for the whole nine miles. It will get easier again and then it will get harder again. And I thought that's such a good metaphor, isn't it? So like it will will pass even if you do nothing to help yourself. You are not going to feel shit every minute of your life for the rest of your life. So you could just let it be. And something will change. But I think we get so impressed by being in the grip of despair and depression. We don't even let it pass because we're like, I've got, get, got to get rid of this, beat it out with a bloody stick because yeah. it's dangerous. It's going to derail me. I won't survive. Once you know you can survive it, and I know very sadly not everyone does survive depression, mm. but most of us do. Once you know that, then I think there's a whole different framework for how you feel in it because it's not everything yeah. it's not the end of your story it's just a bit of your story does that does that make sense that absolutely makes sense i know i was it was a couple of weeks ago i was just crippled with it and you, you know and like you said you know you don't think you're ever going to feel better you just feel that's it now i'm always going to just be this nothing's i couldn't see any there was no light at the end of the tunnel nothing was happening and then i just happened to be at a gig and my mate john was there and i just and i just he, and he said how are you and i actually told him and then he went, yes, you know what, Rich? He goes, you do a whole podcast about reaching out and talking to people. He goes, but you're the fucking worst at it. <laughs> and I went, yeah, no, no. I said, I don't follow my own advice. It, I find it really, because I don't want to burden people with it. And through talking to him, he went, right, okay. He goes, listen, I can help you with that. And he did. And this thing that had been hanging over me for a year, he sorted out in a night. Well, there's something altruistic about helping other people, isn't there? So if you're someone who helps someone when they're depressed, you're being, you know, it is an act of altruism. But it's also a really um, kind of self-serving act because you do that all the kind of hormones we get from running and whatever, you do actually get happy kind of all the dopamine sort of hit from doing things for other people you definitely do so actually we're being really nice we're going listen i'm giving you a dopamine hit i'm going to give you all my shit you can solve it and you're going to feel great at the end of it <laughs> but um <laughs> but it is i mean in our, do you find because sometimes when i'm feeling really shit i do have really good gigs it's so weird mm. and i think because i'm so relieved to be on stage i'm like i'm totally going to inhabit this 20 minutes because i'm getting out of my own bloody yeah. internal spiraling and i'm going to enjoy being with you guys in the room and it's like a relief isn't yeah it? absolutely that it's absolutely yeah. that i said this yeah. to someone the other day i feel better on stage than i do when i'm off because i haven't got to worry about bills and tax and 
and all that. I've just got to talk to you about these stupid stories for 20 minutes. And it's a, it's, I, I said in Invisible, I had, um, I, I can't remember how I made it funny, but it was basically the premise was, uh, you know, I spend, I do this for a living. I'm on stage day in, day out because I find life off stage so mm. bloody difficult. And there's complete truth in that. So like days like today where I'm doing a podcast with you, I'm doing a speech this afternoon and then I'm opening a gig this evening. I will know today then I will have had two and a half good hours because I'm doing things I like where I'm not in my own head. Yeah. God knows what the other 18 waking hours will be like. <laughs> but those two and a half hours, I know I'm going to enjoy. So trouble is you can't be on stage 16 hours a day. So no. what a what do fuckwits like us do the rest of the time? <laughs> That's the tricky bit. <laughs> we stare at the wall, letting the voices engulf us until the next thing we have to go and do. <laughs> I know, but it does feel. Um, I do. Do you? I mean, you're much, much more seasoned act than I am, and, and a loved, a loved and lauded act for good reason. But do you yeah. find that you? I'm trying to find ways to bring in. Like, I can't quite get as far as I did. Talk a bit about depression in one of my shows, but not really in a way I wanted to. I look back at it. I'm like, I wish I hadn't done that because I didn't get really close to what I wanted to say. But I am talking about anger at the moment, and I'm a very unangry person. Right. Genuinely, not an angry. I don't get angry very easily and I've now got stuff I remember the times I've got angry because there's been so few of them and actually I thought there's some quite funny stuff in those because I and my kids remind me of one there's one there's one time I totally lost my shit and they remind me of it they sent me a card to remind me of it because they remember the day it happened <laughs> and I'm like actually that's a badge of honour as a parent if you've only done it once but do you so I'm trying to go near thinking about what really goes on and so people who know me on stage wouldn't think I'd be an angry person mm. who like lose my shit like that because that's not how I come across but do you go near your sort of vulnerability and what's really going on under the mask then on stage yeah someone said I was um, painfully honest they said okay because I do I, it, it's funny actually I was doing a podcast a little while ago and they said can you tell us a secret that you've never told anyone before and I couldn't think of anything because I, I talk about everything that's that I've been through my good bits my bad bits especially my bad bits I've, I've talked about it on the podcast a lot if people listen to the all the episodes, at some point I've told you everything that I've been and done and said, you know, and has happened. And that'll come out in your material as well, yeah, in one yeah, shape yeah. or form. Yeah, and you're talking about because I was an angry, I was angry when I was younger, but and then and then having counselling made me realise why I was angry. I'm not a horrible angry person. It's just that things had happened that were, had frustrated me to the point of me losing my shit. You know, you were angry because you were sad, probably. Yeah, and you, and it and then you work out why and what had happened to get you to that point. And then you know, like being with people, and then be like, "Oh, you're so angry. What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I'm fucking no." <laughs> and it and it's it was and but now I'm so I'm I've gone so far the other way. So you're not angry now. No, I'm so chilled out. And I think when I'm at, when I've been at my angry, it's not pleasant because I do have a temper when I'm really when I'm really pushed I do have a temper it doesn't come out very often but when it does it's catastrophic and, it, and how will it come out then what's the catastrophic I should be saving this yeah. for when you come on my podcast yeah. but how does it how does it come I out will, then I will really I will shout and holler and I'll, and I'll say horrible things that I don't mean and I'll, I'll and I've, I have I've thrown things that was years ago so it's like a kind of Hulk yeah yeah thing. and it's not pretty and I'm not proud of it but it doesn't come out very often now. Like I say, I'm to the point. Someone said to me the other day, they were like, "You're too chilled out." Like, do you give a fuck? I'm like, "Yeah, I do give a fuck." But you'll know when I when I really when I'm really fucked off, and you don't want that. 
You just this just keep it like this. What do you want me to do? But do you know the risk? I don't know where you're at with this. Maybe it's too raw, and I don't know what your setup is now, whether you're with anyone or not. But the int- I think it's in um intim- in intimate relationships. The stakes are so high. Mm. Like I will forgive my friends anything. I've got friends I've had my whole life. So everyone around me, I feel I can navigate an honest, authentic relationship with, apart from people I'm with, where I seem to go into this kind of like weirdly the more intimate you're supposed to be allowed to be the more I think it's just so I'm just so scared of abandonment and losing that person that I just find it incredibly hard to let that snail without a shell bit show Mm. it's a bit like you can have a really intimate conversation with somebody who you sit next to on a plane who you'll never see again and you might tell them everything but I would find that harder to tell a partner and I don't know where you're at in terms of that kind of that's a really hard thing right it's it's not yeah, you're kind of your wise mind gets wiser as you get older, but it doesn't necessarily help you change the habits of a lifetime, does it? No. And do those things that really matter because that those connections are perilous, right? Yeah. Because if you're going to let yourself be seen, then someone you're going to really go, well, does it? Can anyone love me if they really see me? And then if yeah. they do, it's you could lose it again. Yeah. So. True. Yeah. Yeah. I, Tinder can't answer those fucking questions for us, can it? <laughs> I think, uh, again, that comes with age as well. Being, I am happier within myself with who I am. Whereas before, I always felt I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. Um, I wasn't intelligent enough. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. But now I'm older and I kind of go, actually, no, I'm all right. Actually, yeah, I feel I'm actually all right, happy with who I am. And I think that that also helps with your inner turmoil and your and your maybe you know your temper and things like that because you're not frustrated anymore you're like oh no i'm all right this is nice yeah and i think that comes with age there's a lot of tension between who you're pretending to be and who you are and i think if that gap is big at a certain point something's going to implode so that's and that's kind of you've got to close those gaps somehow um but but sometimes the person we are we don't even know who we are we think we're being Mm. the person we are and then we're like but i didn't really know who i was anyway so i thought i was being authentic but it is a kind of life's quest it's like catching a cloud you're like i think i've got to it and i don't know i don't know what i'm doing still (laughs) yeah (laughs) still completely i'm still completely i'm still completely fucked after all these years but you're (laughs) you're never gonna suss it out because we're always changing so I've said this loads of times on here that there isn't a destination. You just you just evolve to what's wherever you're at at the time, and you become a different person as you're going along. And then you're not here anymore. There isn't really a state of oh that yeah this is what I was searching for that whole time. Well, the Buddhist thing is the moment is now, isn't it? Because you keep thinking if I just get that bit of telly, if I just get that, if yeah. I just get the hot partner, if I just get this, if my kids do this, if I get that, and and you're always thinking once that happens, I'll be all right. And then you realise no, today is the day. Like today is yeah. the day. You yeah. do not know what's happening tomorrow. No. Although I am getting a puppy, that's what's going to help oh, me. Nice. I'm getting a puppy. Amazing. It'd be like having yeah. a newborn baby uh, <laughs> that never leaves home. That's oh, amazing. there we are. You're filling that. You're plugging that gap. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Empty nest cliche much? Yeah, let me fill it with living things. <laughs> exactly. A living thing that will shit everywhere and really irritate me. <laughs> but it's also, we're also with relationships. Like my last relationship was very volatile. And I think because of that, like we were, it, we were, the chemistry was so bad between us a lot of the time very strong-minded and it was very fighting or fucking yeah we're mostly fighting <laughs> and yeah, that's a shame you yeah, need the balance you do need the balance <laughs> but, uh, but because of that because it was so volatile now i'm out of that and i'm away from it i'm now now i'm again that helps me 
be even more chilled. I'm like, I really don't want to be that person again. And in an environment like that, so now I'm just like pretty zen about most things. I'm like, no, no, this is cool. I'm not fighting with anyone now, so it's so nice. That that helps. Your headspace goes, um, I think I realised that I'd, it was a conversation with someone else my age who was talking about her patterns of dating. And I realised that since I was 14, when I first fell in love with someone, Nick Young, who I was with from 14 to 16, I've always, always had men in my life. Yeah. Well, and sometimes women, but more often men. And it was almost like this is the first time in my life I have, there's not even any blokes on the horizon where I'm like, yeah, maybe, because um, I'm not interested. Like if those things are coming up, I'm just not pursuing them at the moment. And it, I feel like I've had squatters in my head, usually in the form of men who I've let in. Mm. Uh, they didn't break in. And I'm like, do you know what? There's a the whole bit of my brain that feels free. I'm, it's not that I'm never going to date again at all. I, I'm sure I will. But I've never felt less urgency and less interest in being any in any way validated by whether or not someone thinks I'm attractive and wants to fall in love with me. And it just it's taken me till I'm nearly 53 to go, no, do you know what? I don't want those rooms for rent in my brain right now. I'm not interested. I want to just keep it for other things. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's uh, it's it's so it's it's such a minefield. When Ryan Gosling yeah. calls me, I'll be like, "Do you know what, Ryan? The rooms are open again." <laughs> yeah, obviously... in you come, son. In you come. <laughs> it's all right. Yours, <laughs> carpeted, furnished, ready for you. But until then, it's just got pictures of him on the wall as well, which is weird. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, it looks a bit stalky in here. Yeah, it's a bit shriny. But <laughs> make yourself comfortable. <laughs> yeah, in you come. Um, but you mentioned menopause earlier, yeah. and this is the this is the thing. That like I I don't know if it's different now, but when I was growing up, we weren't really told about women and what it is to be a woman and what women have to go through. You know, we were just you knew about periods, but you didn't really know. No, you didn't really know. It's uh, I've said it on here before. I've only recently found out. I really understand the whole cycle now that it isn't just that week when you know you're a little bit grumpy and things are changing it's the it just a continual cycle there's the always something time, going on there's always something going on and then you get to that point when your body starts to go right well you're now you're not going to be having kids so this is changing now and you're getting to this point and then your whole body's changing again and that i we've never told about that and i think that's something that needs to be addressed yeah, it's interesting because when I actually left my, I left my boardroom career three years ago, finally, um, partly because comedy and other stuff had tipped me into a place where I could and partly because it had run its course. Mm. And the one conversation I never, ever had at board level was a really important one, which is I can't fucking do this at the moment because I'm going through the menopause. And I didn't realise that was such a significant bit mm. um, of what was going on. And it, the thing that I would there's a couple of things about this and thank God it is much more coming into sort of common parlance. People are talking about it. There was stuff in the press yesterday about HRT becoming available over the counter, um, estrogen pills, because that's also really hard to get. A lot really? of women are fighting to get estrogen. Um, Brexit has stopped a certain number of the patches for estrogen, which is what most women use coming yeah. in. There's been supply chain problems with HRT. If there were supply chain problems with a lot of, with, you know, insulin, it would have been addressed, you know, yeah. but it wasn't addressed. Um, so, or not addressed urgently. So there's a couple of things with it. One is the perimenopause. And if there's one thing I just keep banging my drum about is that women from their mid forties will very likely be in perimenopause. And the mental health problems that people, women go through in their forties are phenomenal and very much connected. A lot of women get diagnosed with bipolar 
in their 40s and 50s. And they think that's a combination of the fact that women are good at, a lot of people can mask bipolar. So maybe their mask masking didn't work because they were going through so many other things mm. so maybe genuinely they reveal themselves as bipolar but also a lot of them aren't bipolar they're perimenopausal and diagnosed as bipolar um, also women um, commit suicide the, the 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 highest statistics for women's suicides 50 to 54 oh, wow. and the average age for menopause is 51 so while we're looking at terrible statistics and things like the Lions Barber Collective about mental health for men. And that's so important. Mm. So, and you doing this is so important, but what about looking at where the peaks are for women to struggle with their mental health? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the things that are under, so that is a statistic. You may not have heard it. A lot of your listeners won't have heard it. Why haven't we heard it? And also why are we not realizing that for women, for, we hemorrhage a lot of talented women in jobs as well. I, I do a lot of speaking um, about removing barriers to women at senior levels in a lot of different industries. I do a lot of work in that area. And we lose women to having kids. So mm. they go and become carers for their kids because we're not as supportive as we think we are um, for mothers being still the primary carers of, a lot of the time, not taking away from amazing dads out there. And then we lose women uh, through perimenopause and the menopause. And women are at the top of their game then. You know, yeah. women at 45 onwards, they're going to be the best lawyer, the best person in the boardroom, the best person managing a shop because they've done it for a long time. So why are we letting that happen? So I feel really strongly that, and, and they do have, you know, Channel 4's got a great on-screen menopause policy and a great off-screen menopause policy. Ogilvy have got one. Yeah. There's lots of companies that now do, but what does it mean and what are we doing? Because we can't just say, oh yeah, it's a thing. Okay, so what are you doing to support women? What are you doing with diversity of getting women going through that mm. into your workforce, onto your screens? So yeah, I do feel really passionately that we're doing a bit about it, but it isn't just Davina McCall telling us about hot flushes. And I know she does a lot more than mm. that. It isn't just that. It's like there's real stories and real people really not able to earn a living. Yeah. And really not able to hold down a relationship and really not able to parent their kids yeah. or look after their own parents because of this. So I do feel that there's a lot more work to be done on it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And like I say, men just haven't been told about it. We, you know, we, and, so, and a lot of men, you, they'll go, well, I, what's nothing to do with me? That's women's things. I don't know. And, they, and you feel them, you see them physically recoil when that, when, even when you mention that, if you, if a comedian mentions it on stage, you feel the audience go, oof. Do you know what though? I don't think I've seen comedians mention it on stage. Who are, I mention it on mm. stage, um, and so I've seen a lot of people do. It. And it's just also like everything. It's how you bring it in. You know, mm. you could talk about prostate cancer in a way that the audience is like, "Oh my god, please don't talk about that." I lost my dad to that. Yeah. Or you could bring it in in a way where people go with you, and then you do something clever with it. And I definitely haven't found like I I, I do talk about menopause on stage, but I it comes in in such a way that it's still part of a mm. gag, but I am saying some things that matter with it, but it's funny. So I I just think um, we almost also wait for the world to recoil from us telling those oh, stories. Right. And then we maybe, you know what it's like with stand up, just go in guns blazing and own that shit. Yeah. And, and this is what I'm saying. And this is who I am. And I think you were the one who said to me when I was talking about, I think you said after we gigged it up the creek, and I was saying, I was at the time saying, I don't, you said, oh, you've got teenage kids then. And I said, no, my kids are in their 20s. You said, but you talk about them as teenagers. And I said, because I, I think if I admit my kids are in their 20s, everyone's going to be like, God, how old are you? And it will alienate them. But actually, I now do talk about that. And I say it right from the get-go and I have a good gag about it. And then no one gives a shit. And people yeah. my kids' age aren't going, oh, you're not funny. So I think it's, it's also, we, 
you know, like get out of your own way thing. You know, yeah, we need to true. also just talk about it. But yeah, when I hear men, like occasionally you do hear blokes going, yeah, my wife's going through the menopause and it's kind of really shit and Christ, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, is she? And is that really fucking hard for you? Is it <laughs> having, to, having to deal with that? Yeah. Oh, poor you. Maybe go and have an affair then because it sounds awful. Um, so, yeah, yeah, poor you. <laughs> that must be dreadful for you having to watch her have night sweats and lose her fucking mind. So, um, but that's it. So, yeah. It's not, we, uh, we don't get, we don't get, talked about like you know we're you know we we get into relationships with people and to have that information would be so fucking handy just to know i mean now we can google it and we can find out but if you don't even know to look for it then you know to research it you know i mean you know you're just not aware you know you're not just aware you're not just aware so it would be helpful i think at a younger age to be told like look this is what happens this is what goes on just to have a better understanding of it and then to know to go and look for it, to research it. So you can, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you can be more helpful, you know, or just by being under, just by understanding what's happening will help you in that relationship, you know? Definitely. And I think, you know, my son definitely is very <laughs> painfully aware of menopause because uh, he lived in the house, you know, with me and his sister. So he's heard about it and a lot of kids his age have. But it's also about... Um, you know, if what you're getting is people saying, you know, when you've got people on dating profiles, and this is, a, I know this is talked about a lot, women will know this, you'll probably know this, it's a classic sort of red flag. If a bloke on a dating profile goes, no baggage, please, no emotional baggage, mm. you're like, fuck you, actually, because what you're saying is <laughs> you just want gloss and yeah. froth and like the, the nice side of me. And I can give that to an audience, but I'm not giving it to, I'll, I'll give you that, but I'll give you the whole of me and you'll give me the whole of you, hopefully. So while you've got that kind of no emotional baggage, please, it's very hard for anyone to have permission whatever you're set up in life to actually go well this is me actually and it is a bloody mess yeah but maybe you can love the mess so i think there is menopause is is it's messy it's painful it's depressing it's volatile so are lots of things in life so i think if we can just make it part of what we all talk about but crucially they're really it's less a thing in our industry because you can bring yourself a bit more to to, to your work can't you that's kind of what we do to a degree on stage but I don't know how women. I don't know how women like run massive law firms yeah. through their forties and into their fifties. I couldn't. I could not keep doing the boardroom job I had, because, largely because of that. Now I think I could do it again. I'm kind of almost out the other side mm. of menopause now, and I think I'd probably be all right. I don't want to do it. I, I get asked to do those kind of jobs, and I definitely won't ever do one again. But it, it's yeah. So it's a really important thing to talk about, yeah. and we've only just sc scraped the surface of it. I think in terms of where we're at with it as a society. So yeah, my next big drum to bang would be perimenopause and women who are a lot younger who are like, oh, I can't be menopause. It's like no, you're going through something that for a lot of women feels shitter yeah. than menopause, which is the perimenopause. So yeah, that's probably the most menopause chat you've ever had on this <laughs> podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it needs talking about. That's why. That's why we do this. That's why we do Fembrain, which is you know, it's part of the insane membrane thing because I thought men was for menopause I thought it's insane in the membrane yeah, it's literally a, an hour was. and a bit talking about menopause every week yeah that's what I thought it's like good for you <laughs> what a guy what yeah, an ally what a, to what the a, <laughs> then I was like what's his fucking game what's he up <laughs> exactly what's he trying what's to he do what's he hiding <laughs> it's it's the it's the it's this is why we do it because I don't you know like, like I said I wasn't told about these things when I was growing up I don't really know what it's I, obviously I don't know what it's like to be a woman so having these conversations helps me and hopefully it helps people listening, you know, because a lot, of, a lot of the time we don't know how to ask the questions. You know, I say, I say all the time, ask questions, but then I do a job that means I'm a bit more, I have a bit, I have a few more skills that enable me to be able to 
feel comfortable asking questions. Whereas other people that might that don't do, you know, like public speaking, don't really have those skills. So, yeah, uh, this is why I do. This is why we do it. And it's really. And if a man, if you ask a menopausal woman the wrong question, she'll bite your fucking head off. All right, because right, we're not in a good mood for about seven years at that point. So don't piss us around. <laughs> be careful how you phrase it. Yeah, you got to do it from a distance. <laughs> I would do it. Be careful. <laughs> be very, very careful. But, I, I, but there's even when you know that my like my ex would like she would become a different person when she was when the when she would start her period. Like I I, I remember seeing the shutters come down. In mid sentence, like we'd be talking, and then I just see. You'd be like, oh, an egg's just gone. Yeah, and you're like, and she would, and it's it's an actual thing. It's a, it's it's I can't remember what it's called. I think it's a syndrome, where you be, you it just you just ask somebody else, and it's the end of and the just the I just saw her just staring at me, and I'm like, ah, fuck, we're doing that again. Hormones are very yeah. powerful things. And I know that, you know, there's been a lot of research. I, I've been on HRT. I had done surgery when I was in my 30s that led to me going into kind of early menopause. Mm. Um, so I, I was on HRT, hormone replacement therapy. I've been on it for nearly 20 years, which you definitely, they do say you should not be on it for that long nah. um, because it's associated with breast cancer and other risks. But I will honestly say that how I feel without it is so bad and so dark at the moment still. I'm, I Hopefully I'm moving through it. But I... I'm not taking lightly the risk of cancer, but if you're saying to me you can live as you were feeling without it, or you can have a small percent risk of breast cancer, I will take the risk. Wow. And that, that's not. In, I, I'm aware of what a terribly serious thing that is, and so many people I know and you know have got breast cancer mm. or have died from breast cancer or are recovering from breast cancer. But it's such a you. It, it's not possible to kind of for me. Mm. It doesn't feel possible to go through this without help uh, in the form of hormones. So I'm jacked up on um, bioidentical hormones to get through it, and I'm te and I'm still doing battle with doctors to be allowed to keep taking them because they've been on them just too long now. And I'm like, well, I would really rather take my chances, thank you, and keep living with a well mind because mm. I I couldn't live how I was before. I couldn't really? live without them. The, the the world fell apart. Yeah. It's like taking a someone who's you know bipolar and got bipolar medication, going, well, we'd rather you do without it now, yeah. and going, I can't actually, at the moment. So yeah, I'm 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 obviously going to need to wean myself off this stuff at some point, um, you know, probably within the next couple of years. Mm. But it's it's essential, you know, for me and and the difference in you know in, in hormones. Yeah. yeah, I could bore you about hormones <laughs> for a whole other podcast, but yeah, it 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 is it's. It's really hard to go through it on your own, you know, and and, if, and women get, it's a bit like women get told, you know, you're a failure if you can't breastfeed and you should be able to mm. just breastfeed while you're giving your kid a bottle. Just do what you fucking need to do. It's fine. Yeah. You're doing your best. You're fine. And it's the same with HRT. If you need it to get through it, bloody take it. If you feel strongly that you want to do it with other mechanisms, that's totally great as well. It's all good. But we don't need to judge people who no. do it a certain way. You know, do what you need to do, don't you? Absolutely. And I think that's a brilliant way to finish. <laughs> well, thanks that. for having me on, Rich. It's lovely, my pleasure. Absolutely. Paul can pleasure. cut like five. He can cut like five minutes of the menopause chat. You'll still get more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's there anymore. I think he's gone. <laughs> no, I had to uh, go and deal with a prostate situation of having to go to the loo for the second oh, time during this podcast. So there we are. Oh, nice. Thank really? You, you see. So I'm a menopausal woman with a pelvic floor of steel. Uh, you can that could also be a name of one of my shows. Yeah, there you go. You have so many ideas. It's really good. Where can we find you on on the socials? 
so I'm at Callie Beaton Comedian on uh, Instagram and at Callie Beaton on Twitter. So, yeah. And obviously my podcast, Namaste Motherfuckers, yeah. which you're coming on in a couple of yes, weeks. Yes, I am. So, yes, yes. I am. I you can get wait. me back and just talk about your balls and your asshole for an hour. <laughs> That's all I talk about anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, my pleasure. Was, Thanks for having me. Lovely. And have a great, uh, have a great talk this afternoon. I hope it goes well. I will. They won't know what's hit them. Will <laughs> You're they? all pumped up now, ready to go. Oh, ready to go. Not, not looks wise. I will put a frock on. But yes, ready to go. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.